as we turn our attention to God's Word right now, I encourage you to open your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Romans. We've been engaged in a, in a sermon series here for over a year now and studying the book of Romans. Romans 10 is our text for this morning. So if you could go to Romans 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 13, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version so you can look on the screens or you can also just follow along in your own Bible. The words say this, Brother, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, abounding in riches for all who call in him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, good morning. Glad you could be with us uh, this morning here at Fellowship Bible Church. And understand we're uh, online uh, live streaming this 1045 service as well. So for those of you watching online, glad you're with us. And um, enjoying this cold weather. You know, it's funny. I get people will ask me... Um, I uh, bet you're used to this from Nebraska. I, I mean, we've lived here 31 years. Come on. <laughs> this is cold. And, um, but it's, it's doable. You know, growing up in Nebraska, it, it wasn't just the cold winters um, that you endure. But, um, you know, in the spring and summers, we would, uh, we would have those, those thunderstorms come and they'd roll across the prairie. And I can remember growing up on the farm uh, there in Nebraska, you could, you could see for miles and you could actually see them coming. And uh, a lot of times they would spawn, you know, tornadic activity. And so, uh, you know, that if it was at night, we only, our farm was only about a half a mile from town. And the town sirens would go off in this little small town. That's what Nebraskans do. And that would be the warning, and so then you'd head down to the basement. It was not that big of a deal. I mean, it, we were used to it, and you had plenty of warning. But you, you would respect the weather, and if that warning siren goes, you would head down into the basement. Well, when we lived in Butte, Nebraska, where I was pastoring this little rural church uh, back in the day, one night... I mean, they, the forecast was that there was going to be some pretty big storms coming up, and sure enough, that night, the winds became howling, and, and, and uh, it was ferocious, and the town siren went off. You know, the tornado was nearby, so we grab our four little kids, we head down into the basement, 
and, uh, and it was pretty uh, ferocious. You could hear it outside, and, and, uh, and then it passed. And that morning when we got up, we looked out our front window, and we saw uh, the bit of the devastation. Here's a tree that it didn't break, but it was sure bending. And the, the trees around were twisted, and something had obviously come through that night. And then we looked out the side window, and this is what we saw. And uh, that uh, crazy storm had gotten our car and, and uh, a bunch of other people's as well. Um, again, it, it gave us new respect for the fact that when the warning sirens go off, um, take heed, uh, don't, uh, don't be overly brave, head for the basement and take care of yourself. Now, the Apostle Paul has been sending out a, a warning siren in the book of Romans. Like in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he said... Um, for the wrath of God is manifested against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Present tense, the wrath of God is presently being displayed against all unrighteousness. And then in chapter 2, verse 5, he gave this warning siren. But because of the stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. A day of wrath was coming. Now, we're in that section of Romans, and if you're visiting with us or glad you're here, typically we just work our way through the Bible, and we've been in the book of Romans, as Mark explained to us uh, for the last year. But Romans 9, 10, and 11 is a section in the book of Romans that is predominantly focused upon the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And um, there are some warning sirens that are going off for the Jewish people. There is a day of wrath coming. And the Jewish people were under the wrath of God because they had uh, turned their back on their Messiah. Jesus came. He presented himself as Messiah. He had the accompanying works. He fit all the, the prophetic scriptures. And what did they do? They handed him over to the Romans and they crucified him. Um, they turned their back on their Messiah. And so Paul is sending out some warning sirens that there's wrath coming. Uh, if you're in chapter 10, just go back a few verses to chapter 9, verse 26 or 27. He quotes Isaiah. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, Unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom. We would resemble Gomorrah. Judgment was coming. And is it any wonder that um, Paul was so deeply concerned that he said in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, 2, and 3, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself could be accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites. Judgment was coming, and this is what broke Paul's heart. Wrath was coming, and a day of wrath and judgment was going to fall. And though Israel was like the sand of the seas, this is serious stuff because only a remnant, a small bit is going to be saved because God is going to, as Isaiah said, execute his word quickly and thoroughly on the earth. And if he had not stopped his judgment, they would be like Sodom and Gomorrah, wiped off the face of the earth. 
Now, how did the Jewish people, who had so many opportunities to put their faith in Christ, how, how, how did this happen? How did they come to this place to be under the wrath of God and awaiting the future day of wrath, which, by the way, Don Den Hartog last week unpacked for us, this coming day of uh, what Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, is the coming day of Jeremiah's trouble. How, how did this happen? Well, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. See, what had happened to the Jewish people? They got caught up in their own religiosity with their own self-improvement attempts to obey God's commandments. Oh, we'll, we'll handle this, God. We'll do this. Everything you've said, we, everything you've commanded, we will do. And Paul is saying, they blew it. Moses said, verse 5, that, uh, okay, if you're going to practice the righteousness which is based on the law, then you're going to have to live by it, which means what? You've got to abide by it to 100%. I mean, you can't mess up once. For James says, if you offend, if you keep the whole law but offend in one point, you're guilty of breaking it all. If that's the way you want to be, then you've got to be 100% spot-on perfection. But he said Christ was the end of that approach to God. Why? Well, because Jesus came, their Messiah, he stepped from the throne of heaven, he came to earth, became fully man to be the sacrificial, perfect sacrificial lamb. He took on the sin of the world. He died in our place. And he offers the free gift of his righteousness so that anybody who would put their faith and trust in Jesus gets their sin placed on Jesus' account and Jesus' righteousness gets placed over to their account. So God the Father looks down at undeserving sinful people who put their trust in Jesus. And what does he see? Not their sin, he sees the righteousness of his son that was given to them as a free gift. And he therefore declares them to be acquitted of all crimes. That's what the word justification means. And that's Romans, the first five chapters. Paul unpacked that for us. But the Jewish people did not do that. The vast majority of Judaism said, well, we'll just... We'll, we'll be content in our own religiosity. We'll figure this thing out and we'll do it ourselves. And so the, the, the free gift of salvation was in one sense so very, very far away from the Jewish people. They missed it by a thousand miles. And yet, it was so very, very close. Look at verse 6. The righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. <clears throat> Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And he, he's using some quotes from the Old Testament here, but in a parenthetical statement, he says, that is, to bring the Messiah, Christ, down. Or, verse 7, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? 
verse 8. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we're preaching. And so even though Judaism, the, the Jewish people were so far, far away because of their own attempts at their own self-righteousness, the, the good news was so really, really close. You see, the Jewish people would say, um, well, the Messiah hasn't come. He hasn't come yet. Who's going to send to heaven to bring him down? And Paul is saying, are you kidding me? He's already come. And then others were saying, um, well, that, that Jesus, he's no Messiah. He died. We saw him. He was, he was crucified. He was executed as a criminal by Rome. And Paul is saying, no, no you, you've missed it. He's been raised from the dead. Don't say, oh, who's going to bring him down? Don't say who's going to raise him up. He's already come. He's already been raised up. He is near. Come on, Jews. It's, it's like he's right there in your mouth, in your heart. He's there. He, this word of faith that we've been preaching, it's there. Just receive it. Receive it. What did the Jewish people have to do to experience this salvation? Well, Paul tells them, starting in verse 9, that... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Verse 13 says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What did the Jewish people have to do to experience salvation? Well, Paul lays it out for us right there. Now, to, to really appreciate these verses, um, we, have to, we, we have to interpret these things very carefully, uh, which I hope we're going to do this morning. Uh, first of all, when Paul mentions this word salvation, saved. Uh, what does he mean by that? You go back to verse 1 there, and he said, uh, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Whenever that word saved is used, you've, you've got you've to do some good Bible study. You've got to ask, saved from what? Right? I mean, saved from what? Um, you can be saved from sin, but you could also be saved from uh, fear. You could be saved from all sorts of things. The question when that word is used in the Bible, you always have to ask, saved from what? Well, what has been the context that Paul has been talking about? What have been the, the warning sirens that have gone out? Again, back in chapter 9, the quote from Isaiah. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, a remnant will be saved why? Because the Lord is going to execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. The Lord Sabaoth, he said, left us a posterity. We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Judgment was coming. Again, it's what Don was preaching last week. There is a time, what Jeremiah called in chapter 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time of the day of wrath, Paul said in chapter 2, verse 5. A day of vengeance, of the judgment of God that's going to fall on the Jewish people. 
Jesus spoke about that, as we saw a couple weeks ago. Just before he was crucified, a few days before he's crucified, he said, look at this temple. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. Judgment is going to come. In 70 AD, the Roman legions marched into Jerusalem and, and indeed leveled it. Over a million Jewish people slaughtered, but merely a precursor of what was yet to come. A day of vengeance, a day of judgment, and the wrath of God. And what must Israel do to be saved from that wrath? See, the word saved has this idea of to be rescued from. Literally, the idea is to be delivered from, to be rescued from, to be, to be saved from. What do the Jewish people have to do to be saved, to be delivered from this coming wrath? Well, Paul says, you've got to trust Jesus. <laughs> You've got to accept him as the Messiah. You've got you to jettison this belief that somehow in your own righteousness you could attain uh, God's favor. You've got to abandon that and abandon yourself to him. Put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. Look at verse 10. He says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, the free gift of righteousness. With the heart one believes. And moment of faith, Christ's righteousness is placed over to that person's account and they are justified. But then he says in verse 10, but with the mouth he confesses, resulting in his deliverance, in his rescuing, in being spared, being saved. From what? From what he has been talking about. The warning sirens that have gone off. The coming day of wrath. The wrath that is coming. Again, this is a, a difficult verse. If you confess with your mouth, and literally it is, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. What did the Jewish people need to do? They needed to believe, and they needed to confess Jesus is Lord. Now, I realize that these verses are often used in terms of evangelistic calls and invitations. Uh, I'm sure you maybe have used that. I probably have as well. You're talking with someone who doesn't know Jesus and say, what do I have to do to be saved? Well, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart and you will be saved. Actually, that's what it says, isn't it? The problem is that nowhere else in the book of Romans, nowhere else in the book of Romans, does Paul say you have to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Nowhere. Nowhere in his epistles does he say this. Or anywhere in the New Testament. To confess with your mouth Jesus it's not found. Why would he put it here? Paul, you've been talking about faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. I mean, that's the Christian message. How does one get to heaven? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever what? believes in him a whole book was written about that the gospel of john it's a it's a gospel tract 98 times the word faith belief is used believe that christ died for our sins and rose again so, so why is paul interjecting it's confusing that you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart because we have to understand the audience to whom he's writing this What's his concern in Romans 9, 10, and 11? 
It's his countrymen. It's the Israelites. As he looks out over the, the, his people, he's got unceasing sorrow and grief. Why? Because they have turned their back on Jesus as Messiah. And as a result of that, they are under the wrath of God, and there is a coming day of wrath, the time of Jacob's troubles is going to fall upon them. Of course Paul would be brokenhearted over this fact of what's going on with his people. And there is two things that Jewish people must do in order to be delivered from that coming wrath, in order to be rescued from that wrath, in order to be saved from that wrath. What is it? You've got to believe in your heart that God raised the Son from the dead, that they all knew he came to earth, but he paid the penalty of sin and he was raised from the dead. Put your faith in Jesus. Stop trusting your own righteousness. Put your faith in him and receive the righteousness of God. Verse 10 again, with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. That's how a person gets to heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Paul is saying to his countrymen, to the Jewish people, with the mouth one confesses, one says, Lord Jesus. And that results in being delivered from the wrath that is to come. Let me, let me give an illustration of this. Let's say there's a man who checks in at a hotel. He's distraught. He is uh, deeply um, in pain. His wife has just left him. He lost his job that week. And on top of all, he's got uh, severe and serious health conditions. His heart is, is um, very, very, um, very sick. And he checks into this hotel, and he is distraught. His life is, has caved in around him. And he's sitting on the edge of that bed, but his eye catches, as so oftentimes it does, that book on the nightstand, that Gideon Bible. And he reaches for that Gideon Bible, and he opens up and he thumbs through it and his eyes land on that verse, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he understands that Jesus died for his sins and it's written in that little Gideon Bible and it explained. And in that moment, in that hotel room and in all his pain and in all his anguish, he puts his trust in Christ and Christ alone. But because he's so distraught and because his heart is so weak, that night he dies of a heart attack. Now, will he go to heaven? Of course he will. Because the free gift of eternal life is given at the moment one puts their trust in Christ, in Christ alone. But wait, wait, wait a minute, Mark. Paul just said here that you have to confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus. You've got to make that, that, that profession, that, that confession, Jesus is Lord, and he didn't do that. Well, fortunately, that's not what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 9, or 10, 9 and 10. See, the moment, again, a person puts their faith and trust in Christ alone, they are eternally saved. Paul is writing to his countrymen, and there's a day of wrath coming. His heart's desire was that, as he said in verse 1, that those Jewish people would find salvation, deliverance. God's wrath was coming. And in order for Israel 
to be spared and rescued from that coming wrath. Yes, they needed to believe in their heart. They needed to put their trust in Christ and Christ alone. But that's not all they needed to do. They needed to confess, Lord Jesus. They needed to call upon the name of the Lord. Look at verse 13. It says, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, delivered, rescued. Do you think that little phrase is important? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, there's no accident why Paul quoted, this was a quote from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Paul quoted Joel, and in chapter 2 of Joel, verse 30 and 32, Joel said this, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And see, even though their numbers were like the sand of the sea, a remnant would be rescued. And Joel is talking about a day that yet to come. Again, Don preached on this last week, a time of great trouble, of great tribulation. And Joel is saying, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be rescued. Now, Jesus picks up on this very same Joel passage when he talks about the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 and 30, he said, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. There's the Joel quote. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see what? The Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. That is yet to take place. It hasn't happened yet. Jesus is talking prophetically, as he quotes from Joel, that there is a day coming when great tribulation will fall. But immediately after those days, the Son of Man will return. See, that's what Paul, I think, was referring to in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. You're storing up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath, of judgment, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's coming. It's coming at the end of this age, this time of great tribulation that Jesus talked about. And unbelieving Jews will have one way of escape. There's one way of escape. What is that way of escape? You've got to trust Jesus as your Messiah. Put your faith in Jesus. He came, he died, he rose again. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead but you must also confess him as Lord. You must call upon the name of the Lord. You must cry out, Lord Jesus, and you will be rescued. You see, believing precedes the calling upon the name of the Lord. Verse 14, he develops this. He says in verse 14, how then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? You can't call upon the name of the Lord if you haven't first believed him. And how should they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And how will they hear without a preacher? And verse 15 says, how will they preach unless they are sent? There, there is a, there's an order here. A preacher's got to be sent. And a preacher's got to give the message so that they can hear it. You can't hear anything if it hasn't been preached. And you can't believe in anything that you haven't heard. And you can't call on the name of the Lord if you haven't believed. How shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? The Jewish people needed two things. They needed to put their faith in Christ. They needed to believe in him. And they need to call upon the name of the Lord to be rescued, to be delivered from this coming day of vengeance and judgment and wrath of God. You think that little phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, is important? Now, next week, next week we're going to kind of devote the entire hour to unpacking this further and actually practicing calling upon the name of the Lord. But for, for a little bit this morning, because this phrase is so important, uh, let me walk you through uh, some Old Testament passages because this is all over the Old Testament. To call upon the name of the Lord. It's very important. When God called Abraham, who was a worshiper of the moon God, and he called him out of paganism, and he, out of the city of Ur, the Chaldees, and he called him to uh, the land, he said, I'm going to show you. And Abraham believed God. And in that moment of faith, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. God gave Abraham the gift of his righteousness. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, after all that happened, Genesis chapter 12, verse 8 says that Abraham built an altar to the Lord and did what? He called upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 12, 8. What was he doing? He built an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. He, he worshiped God. He proclaimed Him. He called out on the name, that the characteristics of God. He called out upon the name of the Lord. Lord, God. He worshiped God. Here's another passage in, in um, Exodus 34 when Moses gets the uh, commandments. And um, it says in Exodus 34, verse 5, it's a great passage. He said, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. I think I'm going to talk about this more next week, but I'm going to just turn there. It's a great, great passage. Really an interesting passage. So here's Moses. He's got the Ten Commandments, and Moses has said, show me your glory, right? I need to know you. I need to see you. I, I, I want to know you. Show me your glory. And so God descends, it says, in the cloud, and he stood there with, with him, with Moses. And then it says, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Who's the he who called upon the name of the Lord? Well, let's keep reading. I'll read it here, Exodus 34. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sins. The Lord, the Lord God. Who was proclaiming? Here is Moses. I want to, I want to see your glory. Boom, here comes God. He descends in the cloud. He's standing there with him. And then he proclaimed. Yahweh proclaimed. Jehovah proclaimed. What was he proclaiming? His character. 
the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, merciful. He was not worshiping himself. He was not praying to himself. He was proclaiming who he was. He was making proclamation to Moses. Throughout the Psalms, we see God's people calling upon the name of the Lord. Here's Psalm 99, verse 6. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. What were they doing? They were worshiping. They were calling out to him, Lord God. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Call upon his name. What does that mean? It means to proclaim him. Make known his deeds among the people. You can actually see some evangelization going on here. I think, by the way, I think that's what Abraham was doing. There he is in the land of the Canaanites, all surrounded by all this paganism. And he's worshiping the true God. He's had an encounter with the true God. He builds an altar there and he does what? He calls upon his name. He proclaims him. There is one God, the true God, the gracious God, and he's proclaiming it. All throughout the Old Testament, the people of God would make known the deeds they were called to call upon his name. In fact, those who were unbelievers, who did not recognize God, it said just the opposite of them. Psalm 14, 4. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread, who do not call upon the Lord? They're there in great dread. Unbelievers don't call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 79, verse 6, Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. Unbelievers can't worship God. They can't worship a God they don't know. In the New Testament, we see this very same concept. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place do what? Call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. See, believers are the ones who can call upon the name of the Lord. That's, that's their reasonable service of worship. You call upon the name of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul wrote and he said, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace and do it with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Only believers in Jesus Christ can call upon the name of the Lord. But how can they call upon them, him whom they have not believed? You've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ first and then you call upon the name of the lord and all who call upon the name of the lord will be saved will be delivered will be set free and paul is writing here to the jewish people that's who he's the focus is on 9 10 and 11 there's a coming day of wrath a coming time of judgment a great outpouring of great tribulation joel prophesied it jesus prophesied it Paul's heart is just broken for his people. Oh, put your trust and faith in Christ and then cry out to him, Lord Jesus. And when you do, in that hour of great tribulation that is yet to come, you will be rescued. You will be saved. I, I passed over one little verse there in Romans. 
verse 12, which is where I want to end this morning. Verse 12 says, For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Abounding in riches for all who call upon him. And though Paul's primary focus in Romans 9, 10, and 11 was the Jewish people, here's a verse, and in this one verse, we, we get the sense of the essence of the promise. It's for anyone. You see, God's promise for eternal life, eternal, a, a destiny with him forever in heaven, is conditioned upon one thing. Faith in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. And that's a message for anyone. You might be here today, and you might be still trying to earn a spot into God's heaven, hoping that one day at the end of your life, God will take your good works and put it on the scale of his divine scrutiny and your bad works, and your, hopefully your good works will outweigh your bad works, and he'll get you, allow you into heaven. No, that's not how it works. You see, Jesus Christ, verse 4, chapter 10, is the end of that approach because he came and he offers the free gift of eternal life to anyone who believes. And the riches of his grace is for anyone who simply says right now, I can't do this on my own. I'll never make it to heaven. I'll never be good enough. Lord God, I put my trust in Christ and Christ alone. And in that moment of faith, the Bible says he gives us the free gift of eternal life. We are born again forever. You see, it's near you. That word that we have been preaching, Paul says, it's right there. It's near you. Trust Christ and Him alone, and in the moment of faith, you'll be eternally saved. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior this morning, there's something else that you must do. Not to get to heaven. That's already secured for you. But to experience the abounding riches verse 12 the abounding riches are given to all who call upon his name and only believers in jesus christ can call upon the name of the lord this morning let me ask you are you calling upon the name of the lord see god promises the abundant riches the spiritual riches of his grace to every believer who in humble submission to him cries out Lord Jesus openly confesses him. Lord Jesus, who lives a life of humble submission worship before him, who's, who takes seriously their call as a follower of Jesus, aligns their life before him in humble submission, who builds that altar of your life and, and calls upon the name of the Lord and proclaims his goodness because you know it, you know him. He promises such a worshiper salvation, deliverance, rescuing, so that in that moment of, of, of pain and the suffering of life, all of a sudden you, you cry out to him, Lord Jesus, and the peace that passes all understanding just guards your heart and soul and it just floods you. And all of a sudden you find the, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's the rescuing that results when 
in the midst of, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, overwhelming trials and tribulations, you experience joy inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter chapter 1. Joy, that's salvation. That's deliverance. It's a, it's a deliverance from despair and, and hopelessness and, and loneliness and confusion and discouragement that can beset any believer in Jesus Christ if our eyes are focused here and on me. But when you cry out, Lord Jesus, and we know him and we love him, and we're calling him in worship and we're proclaiming him, we're confessing our, with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we're living in light of that. Oh, the peace, oh, the joy. You experience salvation because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. That's the promise of the scriptures. And he is abounding in riches to everyone who does that. It's what David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's salvation. I will fear no evil. 1987 was my first trip overseas in a mission work in northern India. And believe me, I landed there, and I was in this northern city in India, and it was like two in the morning or whatever it was, and I heard the Muslims call to prayer in that section, and I heard the Hindus wailing and singing their, their songs. The, the darkness and the evil was so palpable. And here I was, this young pastor from Nebraska there in India, and I tell you, if there was ever a panic attack, I was getting it. And I was not sleeping. I could hear the wailing and the singing, and, the, and the, again, the, the darkness was just all around. And I could feel it encroaching into my very soul. And I cried out, Lord Jesus. And I opened his word. And my eyes fell upon, I just opened it. I don't recommend that every time, but it worked for me that day. I opened the Bible, there was a Psalm 115. Why should the nations now say, where is their God? For our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And the psalmist goes on and says, they make idols of silver and gold, and they have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. They have mouths but cannot speak. And it goes on and says, and all, that, all those who make them will become like them. You see, our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. And in that moment of time, in that remote place in northern India, I called upon the name of the Lord, and I was rescued. And there was a peace that came, and I fell asleep, and, and the rest of that trip was just a wonderful encounter with the living God. 18 years ago, when I was diagnosed with cancer, from the day I was diagnosed with cancer to the time I had my surgery, it was 30 days. Well, 30 days of what? Well, of stewing and worrying and wondering, you know, where's this going, going to happen? But in those moments in that 30 days, when I would get on my knees and I would cry, Lord Jesus, and I would find the, the sustenance from his word, and I would proclaim him. You worship him, and all of a sudden, it truly is a peace that passes all understanding, a joy inexpressible, full of glory. I was rescued, I was delivered, I was saved. That's what Paul is talking about. And it's a promise of God's word. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be spared, will be saved. And sometimes... 
Sometimes, even in the midst of all the circumstances and the trials of life, you might, God might come down and sweep you and free you even from the midst of those circumstances of life. He'll save you right from the midst of those circumstances. You know, down through the history of time of Christianity, the last 2,000 years, time and time and time again, that's what God has done. He's rescued people even from the calamity in which they're in. Whether it was a financial blessing at the right time, maybe an encouraging word from a fellow believer, a phone call just at the right time. God swept down and he, he, he saved you, he delivered you from that. Might have been a physical healing. There's a time maybe when you had lost a job, and I've heard testimonies here in this congregation, but all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, and, and here's someone who brings anonymously from another person a, a check for $1,000 to help pay your mortgage or your rent. And God rescued and he freed you, but all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. God is abounding in riches to all who do that. You see, these are just the fringe benefits, though, of having a personal relationship with the living God. The fringe benefits of being able to cry out, Lord Jesus, and know that he's yours. If you're a child of God this morning, let me ask you, are you experiencing the abounding riches of his grace, of his glory? You know, is your walk with him so real and so precious that you're, you're, you just have this relationship with him that you, you call upon him and you, yeah, life stinks. <laughs> It does. We live in a fallen world. But in the midst of it all, are you finding that your worship of him is sweet and, and, and real? Do you love him? Someone said life without Jesus is a hopeless end. But life with Jesus is an endless hope. Are you walking with him? Are you enjoying his presence? All who call upon the name of the Lord are going to be delivered. And in the moment of sorrow and agony and confusion and despair, he rescues us because he's our God. I was thinking just yesterday, it popped into my head, and um, I don't know why it popped into my head, uh, but there was an old song that I used to sing when I was growing up in Sunday school, way, way, way long ago. Um, and it kind of came to my mind, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. I don't know if you know that. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know this one? Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm living for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Do you know that? Have you heard this? How many know that song? Great. Some old people out here. <laughs> now, join with me. Try, try it. Try it. For those of you who remember that, Sing it with me. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm living for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Is it true for you? Is it true? He wants to be sweet to you. Let's pray.
Our Father, you, the eternal, almighty God, you want to you pour out the riches of your person, of your presence. Moses there on the mount, and you came down and you joined him. And then you, you declared your name. You, Jehovah, Lord God, compassionate and gracious and mercy, merciful and abounding in loving kindness. And you invite us this morning to, to be the people of God who are so um, intent on, on, on knowing you and walking with you and worshiping you and, and calling upon your name. And you'll pour out, you'll open the, the storehouse of heaven and blessings will flow. It doesn't mean we're going to be rescued from every circumstance, but you do that too even, Father, many times. But we experience salvation, and the, the rescuing, the deliverance, because we, we call upon your name. Ultimately, Lord, it's, it's, just, it's, it's knowing you. It's, it's being with you. It's having a life of, of the riches, of the abounding presence of, of you that makes the, all the difference in our life. And may, Father, every day with you be sweeter than the day before. Oh, Lord, this is our prayer, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.